Uh, welcome. My name is Pastor Matt. This is the third or fourth time I'm with you, I, I believe, and it's uh, my, my joy to be here. Um, since seeing you, uh, I don't know if anything's changed. I still have four kids. The beard's gotten longer, so therefore my sermon is longer too. I feel it's uh, more wisdom, and when it's down to here, I'll be on par with Craig, and you'll be here till one. Um, so uh, with, our, with our passage today, um, I want to start just by giving you my testimony. Um, it's a special year for me. It's uh, 2019, which means 20 years ago on October 29th, 1999, I was a freshman in college and I accepted the Lord. Um, did not grow up. Yeah, it's my 20-year spiritual birthday. I'm, you know, I kind of feel like I know something, but I'm still a little rebellious. I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, so I just want to tell you that story a little bit because it'll set up this passage and it'll just be an intro to who some of these pastors are. Um, So I grew up in Penfield, Ohio. Uh, Did not have a stoplight, a post office, anything. It was Farmville. You can ask me some stories about my childhood. I was just running in the woods and the farms. And I actually grew up, my dad uh, ran a tropical fish store for a little bit. And like we had some exotic pets and uh, we had a spider monkey and my neighbors had a chimpanzee. So there's some funny stories there. Um, Explains a lot. But uh, anywho, Life was filled with angst for me. I didn't necessarily know why, but I just knew something wasn't right. I knew that I had angst. I was innerly angry. I didn't know the relationship wasn't great with my parents. And then one day my sophomore year of high school, my mom didn't come home because she was in an accident uh, for drunk driving. And immediately I went, oh, that explains her. That explains my house. That explains my dad. That explains their fighting. That explains why I see bottles in the laundry room. And that, like, that explains why in the trash can. Like, it's so much of my life. It, it was just like glasses were lifted. I went, huh. But see, the problem with that was now I had something to be angry about. So before it was just angst and I didn't know something was right. But then I was angry. And anger has this way of lashing out and coming out in various other ways, and no one saw it better than my best friend, Jake. Jake, uh, his parents owned the uh, dairy farm that was down the roads, and we we palled around every summer. I mean, I'd be at his house by 7 o'clock in the morning, and Jake hated to sleep in. they would be like, Jake, Jake, you're ready, let's go. So Jake and I were buddies forever, and it was uh, junior year of high school where Jake really saw this anger, and instead of talking to me about it, Jake went to one of our teachers Mr. Davis, he was, he'd been a teacher for like 40 years. He was on his last year, second to last year. And he just told Mr. Davis, he said, uh, and by the way, Mr. Davis was everyone's favorite teacher. Like he was the hardest, but he was just everyone's favorite. All the kids loved him. He loved all the kids. He was, he was cool. And, it, and by the way, this was a public school. So Jake just went to this teacher and said, hey, you know, Mr. Davis, you might want to talk to Matt. It seems there's something going on and he maybe could use someone to talk to. And so uh, one day, I think it was just before wrestling practice or something like that, I was in Mr. Davis's classroom talking, and he said, uh, hey, Matt, there's something going on at home you want to talk to me about? And I just went... <laughs> so I laid it all out, and he said, you know, you need Jesus. I said, what? I thought you were going to give me a pat on the back and say it was okay, we could hug it out. And, and he started from that moment on, he invited me to his church, he shared the gospel with me week in and week out. 
Um, he was faithful to witness to me over and over and over again. And it wasn't until my freshman year of college that I came home. Um, I was still lost, still, still pretty angry, but Mr. Davis was super faithful. And uh, something had happened. I don't even remember what it was that just got me in a rage. And Jake, my best friend, he goes, you know what you need to do? You need to call Mr. Davis. He's the only one that ever talked any sense into you. You know, I was like, fine. So I called Mr. Davis, and for some reason, he just said, Matt, when are you going to give in? I was like, I might as well do it now. And so in my best friend's bedroom on a Friday night, no, it was Thursday night, October 29th, I actually went back 20 years in like your Google calendar, and I looked at what date it was, because it was, it was Friday the 29th. Yeah, that's what it was. And uh, we prayed over the phone. I accepted the Lord in my life, and I tell you, uh, life was radically different after that point. Uh, Mr. Davis was... Um, he was very, uh, very influential in teaching me how to be a Christian, how to pray, how to go to church, how to read the Bible. And reading the Bible for the first time, church, I was floored. I remember calling Mr. Davis and saying, Mr. Davis, Mr. Davis, have you read Philippians 4? It says rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. And I just went like, that is what I'm talking about. And he's, in the nicest way, he's like, yeah, I know. That's a, he, he was nice, but he was like, that's a famous verse. But I had never read truth like that. I had just never known that God's word was so, was so true, but so meaningful, so, so personal. I was like, this, this is where it's at. And literally from that verse on, scripture to me was like a treasure hunt. I was like, oh, what am I going to find? What am I going to find? What am I going to find? And I remember finding, this was, again, this is probably my sophomore year of college. I don't know, but um, I found a verse in 1 Peter 4, 2 through 4. I was reading that and it leapt off the pages to me. I believe it's on here. It says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised that you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. This passage summed up my early conversion so well in that I, I understood, right, like, I've lived enough time for myself and my flesh. God gave me eight, well, he didn't get, like, anyways. That time, surpassed, that time passed was completely sufficient for me to do whatever I wanted to do. And I could really relate, too, that, like, the people that I didn't do it with, they were kind of surprised that I wasn't going down that, that same path. And I just, God was clearly saying to me, Matt, you've had more than enough time to live like a heathen. Start living for me. And I needed that kick in the pants, though, because though it made logical sense, I knew I was still struggling. I knew I still wanted to do those things. I knew that that was in me. And so God said, Matt, this isn't you anymore. Start fighting for me. And the passage that we're in this week, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, it is all about this war that we're in. That's why the series title, is, that's why this sermon title is World War. It, it, it's a war that not just believers are in. It's a war that non-believers are in too. And so this, this time that I'm with you, I, I want us to, by the end, be clear on the answers to three questions. Question number one, how do I know we're all in the war? Because you might be thinking, I think uh, maybe just Christians are fighting this because the non-believers, they've given in. I'll 
submit to you that might not be true. Question number two, what's the difference between our war and their war? So though we're all fighting this war, there's some very clear differences. And then the most important, question number three, what's on the line? So how do I know we're all at war? Number one, we are all made of flesh. Believers and non-believers alike, if I were to die and a non-believer were to die, you're to take our bodies, open them up, study the blood, study the muscle, study this, whatever. Exactly the same. Between a Christian and a non-Christian, our flesh is exactly the same, and our flesh wants what it shouldn't want. We were made with certain desires, but sin coming into the world took opportunity through those desires and twisted them so that we are enslaved to sin. Paul also says in Romans that when sin came into the world and then when the law came into the world, sin took opportunity through that law and made sin even more sinful. So now that we know what we shouldn't do, we want to do it all the more. And believers and non-believers alike, we are, we are in that same war and we all know it. And Paul sums up those desires of the flesh As this, he says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In reading that list, if we're honest, that's what our flesh wants. When I'm in a fight, when I want to get even, feels good. When I lash out, it feels good. We all are made of flesh. I also know that we're in the war because non-Christians are trying to abstain as well. Because they know that if they give in to the lust of the flesh wholeheartedly, destruction will come. It just makes, it just makes logical sense. I mean, the self-help section at Barnes & Nobles is ginormous. Ellen is super popular. People listen to Oprah. And then there's Dr. Mustache, right? What's his name? The dude with the bald? Phil. Phil. What? People get that they need help with this. And I I, I actually have a book that I want to read just a a little section of. It's um, it's a book called Discipline Equals Freedom. That's right. Uh, it's a, by a guy named uh, Jocko Willink. He's a former neighbor's Navy SEAL. He's written a couple books. He has this is a podcast. Totally humanistic dude, all right? I should probably step off the platform when I read this just so it's not, I feel better about that. I still think like this is for the Bible. This is not. Um, so anywho, I won't. I won't be that fundy. Um, when I read this, I have to read it in, in his voice because he did an he, he, he did an audio version of this book, and like, you'll just see how like, the non-believer just knows that they have to win over themselves. They have to win over, they have to discipline, they have to crush, uh, because it just makes logical sense not to completely give in because destruction will follow. All right, here we go. To reach goals and overcome obstacles, to become the best version of you possible will not happen by itself. It will not happen cutting corners, taking shortcuts, or looking for the easy way. There is no easy way. There's only hard work, late nights, early mornings, practice, rehearsal, repetition, discipline. There must be discipline. Why? What drives me? When I was younger, I was prepared. Blah, blah, blah. He just goes on. There's another section here where he talks about um, 
oh, he's talking about having weaknesses, right? And he's like, do I have weaknesses? I'm nothing but weakness. I'm not naturally strong, fast, or flexible, but I don't accept that weakness. I'm fighting, always fighting, struggling. And this book just goes on and on and on. I thought it was going to be a different book than when I ordered it from, from Amazon because his first one was honestly pretty good. Um, but you just, you just read it and you go, man, they are trying so hard to not give in to those disastrous desires they have. It just makes, logical, it makes logical sense. If I want to keep my job, I won't punch my boss, though I really want to. Anyone wanted to punch their boss? If Craig was here, you'd take that, Canada. I love you, Amanda. No, 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 no. I love, love Craig in Canada. Um, if, if I want a peaceable home, I'm going to be faithful. I'll be nice to my wife. I'll, I'll, I'll treat my kids well. I won't give in to that desire. I never knew I could be so angry at my own children. <laughs> right? Like, being a father, and yeah, when they get older, and uh, so I, we fight these desires, but non-Christians fight these desires too, but for a completely different reason. This also explains good people, okay? When I was first a Christian, I, I very much struggled with this. Yeah, I get that um, good people go to hell, saved people go to heaven. I, I get that I have a completely different authority now. I'm living for you. But then, then there was still this mindset, but yeah, but there's like, in my naivety, I said, but there's still like decent people. And my, my dad being one of them, he is lost as a blind man in a glasses factory, but he loved his children. He loved his wife. He wanted good things. And so he, he said no to the desires of the flesh because it made the most sense for him to have the life that he likes. But it's, it's for a very different reason. All right, so next I want to get into why we fight this war. What is the difference between our war and theirs? Number one, we fight for our God and they fight for theirs. Our whole reason is in fighting this war is right there in that word, beloved. As God's chosen people, back to the sermon from last week, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possessions, that, what, that we should be zealous for good deeds and declare his excellencies to, to the nations. Once you were not a people, that now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is why we fight this war. We fight for our God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all men, therefore all died, that they who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That passage sums up our motivation to want to fight this war, to want to live for God. The love of Christ controls us. Our identity is why we fight. They fight to the end that makes them happy. They speak against you as evildoers. Philippians 4, 19 and 20. I have this on the um, screen here. It says this, their end is destruction. They talking about just a non-believer. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say this, we try to please Jesus they try to please themselves, and it comes across in two ways, either gratification or preservation. 
Gratification is really, really easy, right? If it makes me happy, I will do it. As the, the, the happiest version of me I can be, I will pursue that at all cost. If it's excellency in sports, if it's work, I will work hard, I will drive, I will lift, I will run, I will swim, I will whatever, I will study, I will do whatever I can because if that success will makes me most happy, okay, that's what I'll do. If it's fleshly, if it's pleasure, if it's escape, whatever it is, if it makes me the most happy, I will do it. But the flip side to this gratification is preservation. They also know that if they give into it fully, their lives won't be preserved. So to make them the most happy, yes, they'll put a governor on those desires. And that goes back to that. Well, that kind of explains why like non-Christians sometimes live like seemingly noble lives, right? I mean, that explains that, that, that flip side of this verse, which is the preservation, explains why it's not like here, here in the United States of America, there's like Christians who are, you know, they, they look nice, they act nice, they talk nice, and then there's like a bunch of like yahoo non-Christians like, I just want it. That, that doesn't make sense. They, they want to preserve. And it's sad. Um, a non-Christian will restrain themselves. They'll spin their wheels. They'll sacrifice pleasure for preservation. They will try to gain, 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 but in the end they lose. And that's the saddest thing is people are trying so hard for joy and for pleasure, but the end is already lost. And that's our second difference. Our war is already won. They've lost theirs before they even began. It says this, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Our God declared us loved, righteous. He declared us victorious. He said we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. There are so many declarations. Shouldn't put my hand on that like it's a Bible. There are so many declarations of God's victory over us within scripture. It says neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John, John 10 that when, when we are God's, we're in God's right hand. He says no one can snatch us out. And I like to do this with kids when I teach like a kid lesson or like junior high. I put a piece of paper in my hand and say, get it out. They're like, oh, we can totally do that. I'm like, mm-mm. No, you can't. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm not going to do this to like Jonathan. I'm, oh, it's okay. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you can have it. But we are so secure within God. We have the victory. No one can snatch us out of that hand. We've already won the war. We won the war the moment we believed. Now, you know what? Scratch that. We won the war the moment Jesus was raised from the dead. That's when the war was won. And as Jesus was raised from the dead, so were we in the likeness of his resurrection to live a new life. That is the crux of our victory in this war. Jesus' resurrection won won it for us. That is an amazing truth. But Paul refers to them as simply Gentiles. Now what he doesn't mean is that they're just not Jews. Or they're just not not Jews. They're They're not of Jewish nation, but this word for millennia has meant they're just not God's people. And as not God's people, 
They've lost before they began because they don't have the single one thing that is required for victory, and that's Jesus Christ. Because they don't have that, they also don't have the tools that we have to actually win this war. And so the next difference is God empowers us, and they're enslaved to sin. For this one, let's start with a non-Christian. It says about them that they speak against you as evildoers. Well, when they see our honorable conduct, they speak against us as evildoers. Now, it is so evident they are enslaved to sin. Sorry about that. It's so evident they're enslaved to sin that when they see it, they speak evil against us. This kind of reverse logic, because this really doesn't make sense, right? Person does good, evildoer! It's not logical. It's only explained by the fact that they are blinded by the devil, who is said to be the god of this age, a.k.a. the world. They are blinded and enslaved. So church, let me ask you, why are we surprised when we see non-Christians acting like it? Why are we surprised when a non-believer doesn't have the authority of Scripture, doesn't value what we think you should value, doesn't believe what we think you should think, doesn't do what you think you should do? Like, there's just so many times that I think we're surprised and we lash out. But that's, that's getting it twisted. The non-believer is not our enemy. The flesh is. It's the, it's the passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul. That's our enemy, not the Gentiles. In fact, we're supposed to win them. And so yelling, arguing, all caps emails that I get from people that just seem to like entrench people in their own desires. I just saw one the other day. Now, please, I am against abortion in every single way. But this sign someone was holding up was like, hmm, this will fix them. How could a bacteria be considered life on Mars, but a heartbeat not be not considered life on Earth? Well, I get that. It's just not helpful, and it's not the right fight. I, I do want to fight abortion on a political level. I want laws passed. I don't want my money to support it. Yes, I'm just saying our fight is not with them. Instead, we should focus, and we will have much better progress if we focus on ourselves. And that's where Peter says here, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. We're not focused on fighting them. We're fighting our flesh. And so we're to abstain from that. And so let's focus on that. And God has empowered us to do so. I just want to take a quick aside and talk about this because we are empowered by God. Paul says in Timothy that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I just want to quickly review three things. If you're a believer, you have. Number one, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was first introduced to us as the helper. He is literally our helper. He dwells in us. As soon as we believe, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He convicts us of sin. He leads us in righteousness. He gives us understanding and recollection of his word. We actually have divine help living in us to help us abstain. The only thing we need not do is don't quench it. We also have his word. God's word inspired by God, useful for teaching, 
for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good deed. That word lays out so clearly how to, expl- how to abstain. James kind of explains it in um, fishing terms. Brian, you're going fishing. You're going to have a lure and the you're going deep sea fishing, right? So James says, listen, let no one say when he is being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, but each one is tempted when he is enticed by his own desires. And that word enticed is about like a lure. It looks shiny. It looks like I want it. But there's a hook in there and a barb and it it will kill you. He says each one is enticed when he is carried out by his own desires. And he says when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. When sin is conceived, it brings forth death. And so James says, listen, you want to know like how to abstain identify the lure. See through the shiny thing, whatever it is, be it pleasure, be it laziness, be it escape, be it whatever it is, that whole list of fleshly stuff. It might look appealing. It might feel good to lash out, but there is a barb behind it. For when you lash out, when you give in, there is sin. And after there is sin, there is consequence. And then you have to step in on it. So do you see the sharp, deadly hook that's hidden? And run, or do you bite in? About his word, David explains, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to his word. Paul says the word is the sword of the spirit. That's our weapon against temptation. Jesus, when tempted by Satan three times, and Satan used the lust of the flesh, didn't he? Jesus was hungry. Satan offered him power. And then Satan said, you won't have to go to the cross if you do it this way. Each three times, Every three times? Sure. Each three times, Jesus came back with the word. He said, yeah, but no. I see the hook through what you're offering me, Satan, and I won't have it because the word says this. Church, we have to arm ourselves with multiple daggers by which we can thrust in and kill this temptation and kill this lust. It's, it's really the only way. I mean, reading Jocko Willick ain't going to help. But in partnership with that Holy Spirit that is in there and that word that is powerful, yes, that will empower us to abstain. And he's also given us his people. Look around you. You've got teachers, you've got pastors, you've got small group leaders, you've got the body who care and love and who are in the same fight. And they understand. And so are you living life like a silo, like no one knows my struggle? Are you letting people in? Are you letting people help? Are you, do you have a team around you to fight? He has given us everything we need. Absolutely everything. Because the stakes are too high for him not to. Last question, what's on the line? You say, okay, you're, you're, you're talking this big, this big talk about fighting. And I, I get we want to fight for our king, but like, what's on the line, Right? What if I lose? What if I win? So what? What's on the line number one? Literally our souls. When we give in to those fleshly desires, it grieves our soul to its core. We just, we know we, we're, know we're, we know we're made for something different. It grieves his spirit, and, but in all of it, his love never wanes or changes for us. And I think that's, that's what honestly makes it like more hurtful for me. 
When I give in and know that even when I did this thing, even when I, I took that bait, God's love still doesn't change. I, I traded that for just a debased desire. It just, it just weighs even more. And I am not saying that we forget about forgiveness. I'm not saying that we, get, that we forget about Paul saying there's no condemnation. I'm not saying we forget about he's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. But I'm saying that we need to feel the weight of sin. James, I keep going back to James. I'm sorry, James is in my head this morning. James says in James 4, to people who have been trading, to people who have been wanting things for themselves, he says, you adulteresses, do you not know if friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose when he says he jealously desires the spirit that he made to live in us? And he ends it with this, He gives a greater grace. I love that grace. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And this is just where I, we we love that line, but right next is this. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. This war is so important. It's so grievous to our soul that God says, I'm okay with you being upset and hurt for a little bit. If it means it will, it will prohibit you from doing it again. That's what repentance is. It's sorrow and then it's change. So our, literally our souls are on the line. The next thing that's on the line is our testimony. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that his conduct could actually disqualify him from his message. That's a scary thought. That if I've claimed to be a Christian, if I claim to speak this, yet my conduct says something completely different, my testimony is washed away because I am no different. This sermon is kind of a launch pad into the rest of 2 Peter um, 2 and 3, where Peter will go into a lot more on how to suffer for doing what is right and uh, not suffer for doing what is wrong. If we suffer for doing what is right, good. If we suffer for doing what is wrong, bad. I don't want to steal Craig's next message. But when they see our good deeds, yes, they may slander us, but they're still going to see our good deeds. Our testimony is on the line, but a life of lust is a loss of witness. And lastly, what's on the line is their eternity. Check out that last line. They will glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, there's two ways to look at this passage. You can look at it, number one, as, um, ah, you see, they will see my good works. And even when they don't believe and bow the knee before the Father, they will glorify God anyways, because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Yes, that's true. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But if I have the love of God in my heart, I should have the love of God for the people that he died for. I should want not their, their forced bending of the knee because they see God in all his glory. I should want their willful bending of the knee because they, well, I'm not going to say they chose to trust in him, but because they have faith in Jesus Christ and their eternities are forever changed because of the work that we as a church hold do. Literally their eternity is on the line. You know why I let Mr. Davis talk to me? Because of all those teachers, I think I said, he was the only different one. We could tell he loved with such an otherworldly love. 
I didn't tell him to kiss off. I said, yes, I want to listen to you. You have something that I don't have. You have wisdom, I don't have knowledge, I don't have love, I don't have. He was so otherworldly different. God's love poured out from him into me, and he had a voice that impacted my eternity. And not to puff myself up at all. But Mr. Davis's faithfulness 22 years ago in that classroom, I can picture the room, the what was on his wall, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He had a poster over here, like a picture everything. His faithfulness 22 years ago, yes, he had scripture on his wall in a public school. Crazy. No one ever knew it. He didn't have the verse. We were just like, that's weird flex, but okay. That's for you Gen Z guys. Um, 22 years ago, his decision to be faithful, but his decision to be faithful through the 30 years of his teaching that gave him testimony, that's impacted students, missions, church. And sometimes we don't know that impact, but sometimes we do. And you can bet that I'm going to be sending him this sermon and saying, Mr. Davis, just thank you. You're so faithful. You're such an example of what happens when we fight this war and we fight it well that literally souls are on the line. So what? I just have two. 2.5, really. I didn't put the third one up. (laughs) So what, number one? Everyone is at war. And to sum up the difference, we either fight to get myself ahead or I fight to get Jesus ahead. And you have to know which camp you're in and there's strategies and there's verses about getting Jesus ahead, but you, you have to on a daily basis, choose that side. So what number two? We have to know what we're fighting for. It absolutely matters. And I've, I've put a list up here of some things that I guess I kind of said, well, yeah, sure, I fight for these things. Um, but I think most people may fight for these things. I mean, I, I fight for health. I fight for marriage. I, you know, want a happy wife, happy, happy life, right? But I honestly love her. Like, it's, want that. Um, work. I fight for that. I fight for my kids. I fight for freedom, just being able to do what I want and, you know, vote how I please and um, not have all the restrictions. I fight for adventure. I just want to have fun. All right. I fight for reputation. It's a good thing to want a good reputation. I fight for my future. You save, you plan, whatever. You fight for a lot of good things. But if the ultimate reason that we are fighting is not for Jesus then we've lost just like they did. So I just pose a question back to us, the church. Who is watching your testimony? Why are you fighting? And how do you need to do it better? This is the 2.5, so what? I don't know how the Lord uses his word and uses teaching in hearts. I don't know how the spirit, which if you're a Christian, indwells you, starts to tap on your shoulder and starts to say, you know you need to change this. Hey, you know you've been ignoring my word. You know your dagger belt is empty. Hey, you know you've been giving into this lust. And sure, no one's seen it yet, but it'll come out. I don't know how the Spirit has been poking you. Church, I beg you, there is so much at stake. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord so that he can exalt you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's... um. Lord, it's incredible to be praying to you. 
Um, it's incredible knowing that you, you hear uh, because we are right and acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ. And Lord, for that, we, we praise you. Lord, we praise you that... Um, Lord, we, we praise you that we're in this war. It's, it's hard. Um, we've taken our licks. But Lord, even when life is hard, when we fail, we know that who we are doesn't change or whose we are doesn't change because you are greater than it all. So Lord, we, we, we come to you this morning with nothing but praise. But Lord, we ask that um, as we know how important this war is, as we know what's on the line, God, would you empower us to live for you? Would you empower us to say no to the flesh? Would you give us those strategies that we need and, and the wisdom that we need to abstain? Lord, would you rise up your, your people to come alongside one another and, and help and teach and correct? And Lord, all in a spirit of love, all in a spirit of unity. And God, I pray that as our... Um, I pray that as our neighbors and our communities, as, as they see our testimony, Lord, that we would have an impact on their eternities. And Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.